The Ringer Wrestling Show is getting you closer to all things pro wrestling. The Masked Man Show with David and Kaz drops every Thursday on the feed, along with a new show hosted by pro wrestling superfan Evan Mack called Mac Mania. Plus, hear instant reactions to all the biggest WWE pay-per-view events with our post-pay-per-view shows. Check out The Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Folks, basketball is very good, and it is a beautiful day to talk about basketball. Any day that I'm talking about basketball with my co-host, Jonathan Charks, is a beautiful day. Charks, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I think it's better. Now we're back over Zoom. It's probably a better dynamic for both of us instead of being in IRL in real life. You're big on the IRL abbreviation, I noticed. You don't, you know, you're big on like the text abbreviations. I didn't take you for for one of those like heavy millennial digital minded people because you're off social media. What's the deal with that? Well, I am still a millennial though. And we do the best we can, but we are who we are, right? We are internet creatures. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. So Charks and I just got back uh, from Vegas. Actually, I mean, time flies. It's been, I've been back for a week. That's what I was telling my wife. But we went out to the G League showcase. If you were listening last week, we were out there for that. Uh, milling around in Vegas, watching a lot of the, uh, which was totally disrupted by the COVID call-ups, as we saw. The NBA has been really irregular, really strange right now with uh, with all the players going into protocols. Those numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but it's a lot. We've all seen it. And uh, it was interesting to see those guys kind of come up. This week, uh, we want to focus, we're going to come back and talk more about some of the headline names from the last couple of years. Uh, uh, two players, uh, who were in the same draft. I think they were, there was some sort of, there were a lot of mixed bag. I don't think that there was sort of a, a unanimous c- camp for either one of these guys, I would say. Uh, the first guy that that we want to kind of jump in and talk about here is uh, LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball, one of the most famous basketball players for his age group, um, really of like the social media era. Would you say he's the most famous basketball player? Is that possible? Like along with like Zion? I mean, him or Zion, yeah, probably. You know, LaMelo is on the radar really early, I mean, mainly because of his big brother. He was he sort of looked like a Muppet with that big floppy 
hair that he had when he was at Chino Hills. When you first found out about him, did you kind of go through a similar process that I did where there were sort of like these levels of starting to take him more and more seriously as we went? How did you feel about LaMelo during his high school days, during that like YouTube mixtape era that seemed to last for a long time? I mean, it seemed like we knew him for so long before he was actually playing serious organized basketball. Talk about like what your early impressions were of him like leading up to where we are now. Well, I got to give a shout out to our old ringer colleague, Danny Chow. So he wrote a big takeaway piece. It actually launched the ringer. He went and talked to the ball, all the ball brothers. Lamella was like in seventh grade at the time. So I had heard, I mean, obviously you heard about him since he's a middle schooler. Didn't know what to make of it, really. I was interested by what they were doing, the family. And I always thought, you know me, I'm a big believer in younger brothers and playing up. And so it's always like, okay, LaMelo is playing up from like the age of 10, basically. He's always playing its better competition. He's always testing himself. Iron sharpens iron. So I try to stay out of the celebrity stuff. And I was just like, you know, this could be a player to watch in a couple of years because Lonzo's really good, obviously. And if Lonzo's good, then LaMelo has a chance to be better. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing where I feel like he was... You know, you had like the 90-point game. You've got him pointing at the spot on the floor from God knows how far away that was, that famous picture. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about where yeah, he yeah. calls his shot? I think some of that stuff just sort of overshadowed who he was as a player. But if you look between the lines, it was like, you're right, about the, like the playing up, the things like that. Um, he had developed those skills. And you see a lot of those things sort of crystallizing in who he is now as a player. A lot of that sort of odd... We've talked about this on the Ringer University show last year that that odd sample that he had as a younger player made him extremely experimental, made him extremely creative. Um, I I was kind of coming into the draft though, fast forwarding. Um, you, where did you have him in on your on your big board? Like in terms of how did you see him going into the league and how did he sort of surpass your expectations? I had it Ant one, Lamelo two, and I think that was definitely wrong. I mean, I, Ant's a really good player. We'll talk about him later in the show. But I think pretty clearly now LaMelo is the best player in that draft. And he's exceeded... I was pretty high on him, and he's exceeded my expectations for sure. I wasn't sure how his scoring would translate. I wasn't sure... Because the passing was obvious. that You could watch him for five minutes and say, this guy's an elite passer. He can run a team. Because he had this weird combination where he'd make these crazy passes... But his turnovers were always very low in spite of the absolutely insane passes he would attempt. That was very encouraging. It was always just a matter of, is this guy going to score enough? Is the jump shot real? Can he score around the rim? Will that make up for, will that allow him to maximize his passing ability? Kind of like we talked about with Josh Giddy last week. If you're a great passer and you can't score, at a certain point, that like contradicts. And it kind of holds you back in spite of your passing. Well, I think in these two years in the NBA we've seen us, he can score well enough. He can get his buckets and move the ball around and make things happen. Yeah, I think that well enough is kind of the range where the conversation about him like going forward, where does he go from here? How does he evolve, get better? Like where does his production kind of bloom and blossom? You're right, like uh, scoring-wise right now, he's right at about 20 points per game, uh, eight assists per game. The shooting is, is an interesting thing because the free throw percentage, I, th- I think, is re- a really interesting thing. He's shooting 91.6% uh, from the line. Getting to the line is a whole other kind of conversation. I want to kind of break this down into the the areas of concern that we had for him going forward uh, and how he sort of addressed those. 
Um, you're right about the passing. Uh, those things were always there. Uh, I was looking last night. He's agree or disagree with me on this. I think that he might be him and Jokic. He and Jokic might be the most elite, like over the top placement passers in the world. I was just thinking this morning, he is a Jokic level passer, but he's much, much faster, obviously. But I would say yeah. they're the best two passers in the league, I think, pretty clearly. Oh, you think overall they are the best? Two, I guess you put like, LeBron in there too, but those are the top three passers in the league. Harden. But so here's the thing I think, what I think separates LaMelo and Jokic from the other guys. So if you look at like the tracking numbers and LaMelo and Jokic are both in the top five in touches, but neither is very high in time of possession. So Jokic holds the ball for 4.1 minutes a game. LaMelo's at six. And then you compare Harden's at 9.2. Luca's at 9.4, Trey Young's at 8.6. What's that saying is, is Lamelo and Jokic give the rock up. Like they're making they're passing a ton and they're not holding the ball. They're letting everybody else get involved. It's kind of like the counter to the whole heliocentric thing. You're Harden, Luca, Trey Young, LeBron to a lesser extent. They're more of a reaction to that and saying, we're gonna hold the ball, but we're also gonna get rid of it really, really fast. We're not gonna just dribble the ball into the ground. We're going to let everybody else eat too. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on right there because there is there are like these like macro kind of conversations in the NBA about like how to play, what's the best way to play because we've seen I have a friend who who always says there are a lot of ways to skin a cat it, like it, with NBA First offenses. off, that's a weird thing to say. Like poor it cats. Is. Come on. Who are skinning these cats? I don't yeah, really let, know. Yeah, let's drop that, that phrase. phrase. That's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> Drop that from your lexicon, folks. Uh, no, I think over time we've seen we've seen different versions of this. We've seen like feed the ball to Shaq, you know, like players who are like touch dominant who keep the ball a lot. But you kind of have to be an efficient scorer to play that way for that to justify playing that way. Otherwise, you're just going to have a bad offense. But then we've also seen examples of like low touch time, high creativity players like the birds, the magics, the guys that don't have to pound the ball, but they like provide a lot of creativity and problem solving and you still have like fluidity and you're moving the ball. And I think the low touch time thing is a great point. We're talking about with touch time. And to me, I live in Dallas. Luca's my guy, but I don't think there's any question if you're a player, you'd rather play with LaMelo. I think he is way more fun to play with because he's got like a Harden Luca, their teams never run really. They're actually pretty slow paced teams because those guys want to control everything. They want to walk it up, make the most efficient play every single time. And that works really, really well. But I think it's really hard to play with guys like that. And I think you look at Harden, Luca, LeBron, they've had a lot of teammates who have not really liked playing with them, right? Like Harden has had to shift every two years. Harden basically had to drop his co star. Because Co-Star said, I don't want to play like this anymore. Obviously, Luka and KP, that's a whole different conversation. LeBron has had three or four different teams. I think it just gets old when you have one guy doing everything. The other guys just don't have as much fun. And I guess to bring it all around, LaMelo to me is the most fun player to watch in the league because I think fundamentally, what is basketball about? To me, it's moving the ball and playing as fast as you possibly can. And that's what LaMelo does every single night. And to me... That's the way the game should be played. Like that is the point of this whole thing, my opinion. You're you're teeing this up perfectly because I wanted to ask you about we, you and I had a conversation. Actually, taking it way back, we had a conversation with KOC a year ago where you and KOC came pretty strong, saying that you felt pretty strongly that like even then, like Lamelo over Ja, and at the time, 
I know that like <laughs> that ruffled some feathers. I don't feel like that's a very controversial thing to say at all. But then you said something to me recently about we were just having a conversation about like the six or so you wanted to throw Shea in this group, but I thought he was maybe a little more scoring dominant. Like he leaned scoring a little more heavily, like these score playmakers. Luca, LaMelo, Cade, Trey, Morant. I told you, like, I asked you, where where would LaMelo sit among those? Where do you think he sits among those, those five at least? Where would you put him if you're building a team? I think first, for now, I would take Cade off this list. I don't think it's really fair to rank Cade against these other guys because he's proven nothing in the NBA yet. All these other guys, they've got a lot of skins on the wall. Cade, I think, has to be in his own. We got to wait and see a bit with Cade. So if you go to those four... I'm always going to lean towards size. Like, end of the day, give me the six foot eight guy or the six foot two guy. From there, I think Luca's a better player than LaMelo. Let me be clear about that. I mean, Luca is great. Dallas guy, obviously. I'm a little biased. That said, I might take LaMelo one just because it's easier to play with him. I might. I don't know. I think most likely Luca will have a better career. I think that may, we'll see. I just think LaMelo, guys are going to want to play with LaMelo. I don't know if there's a long list of guys like, dang, I want to watch Luca hold the ball for 40 minutes, complain to the refs, and just jack up shots. I don't, like, but I think with LaMelo, I think everyone in the league wants to play with LaMelo. I think what you're, the point you're making here is like ball dominant scoring versus like guys that have more fluidity play like different styles. Like a good example of this is LaMelo ball attempts and makes more catch and shoot reload relocated threes per 100 possessions than any of those guys. Uh, so meaning like, I think that passing skill sets too are like role dependent sometimes for some guys. Like Luca hasn't really, as much as I love him and as much as I would, I still have him number one, but I think the argument for having a guy like, uh, a guy like LaMelo higher is that a, he will fluidly go on and off the ball. Like I was saying, and can score on and off the ball is willing to do it. His passing isn't as dependent on, like, I have to have the ball in my hands. Uh, I don't have to be throwing a home run immediately every single time. And I think that, like, uh, I think that Luca and Morant and Trey are that way. I, I just, I don't, I don't know that I totally follow with, like, the Cade thing. I personally think Cade is going to get there. I'm a Cade believer still. Uh, but I think what you're right about, like, it's hard to compare about, like, the seen versus the unseen. We just, we haven't had the opportunity. And we also haven't had the opportunity to see LaMelo um, in this kind of situation. So I was going to tee that up to ask you if I'm a team. Like, the Hornets right now are in the position to, to make the playoffs that could shift depending on some things, how they go the rest of the year, uh, up or down with their schedule. How do you slow LaMelo down, though? What do you think the wall is? Because if you look at, like, a Luca, if you look at Trey, obviously, with the hide has been an issue. Luca has proven that he can, like, pick a team apart in the playoffs. How do you think teams would slow LaMelo down? How do you neutralize his impact, if you can? That's an interesting question. And, and I think that's what makes him such an interesting player, is because he's such a passer, it's kind of like Jokic too. It, it, you can't double him. I think you want to make Lamelo score ultimately. I think that's that's the way I would go with it. And that was the thing with Jokic too in the playoffs earlier in his career. It was we're not going to double. We want to make you get forty and hold everybody else down because your passing is really your superpower. And I don't know that Jokic obviously took that next step and became a dominant scorer too. I think if I was a team, 
in a playoff series, I would try to single up LaMelo, keep him in the half court, and say, you've got to beat us as a score. I think that would be the move for me. And I think to go back to what we're saying about the way he plays, I, what really clicked for me is I was doing a piece on Miles Bridges earlier this season. And I was looking at his game log. And what jumped out to me was all of his highest field goal attempt games. So looking at it right now, he's had six games of 21 shots or more. In five of those games, he shot above 50%. What that's saying is when Miles Bridges has it going, LaMelo gets him the ball. And I think that's really what separates him from almost anyone, these young point guards, is the ability to read the game. And that just lets your teammates play so free. Because if you watch Bridges, he takes a lot of shots, but he's not jacking up shots. He knows if he's hot, if he has the mismatch, the ball's going to find him. And that just makes it easier to play basketball when you know this guy is reading the floor, getting me the ball when I need it. And when I need the ball, I'm going to have it to score. And I think that's what LaMelo does already is that ability to read the game, that basketball IQ. He's really a savant. He really is. His feel and his touch are just, um, they're on another level. He's, he's really a, a developmental kind of anomaly in like how he came up, as we've said, but he, it, it shows. Like, and, and I think he's, a really interesting thing here is that uh, you put him into your offense and you're automatically going to get like con- connectivity because like you were saying, he isn't score dominant, uh, but he has demonstrated that he can score. I think the shooting has kind of come around. Uh, like we said, 38.6% uh, from three this year. He's he's He gets it off the glass. He's like absolutely lethal in transition. I think he's probably with Jokic again, like probably the best hit-ahead passer in the world. We've seen that 100 times thousand times already that Mm -hmm. you you sent me the one where he caught the ball under the basket and is literally leaning back on his back foot and throws just a a not well it wasn't a dart he just dropped it a baseball pass he throws it across the court falling out of bounds right to another guy but to bridges actually and that's that's something that's that has sort of a psychological impact on your team if you if you have a guy like that on your team you're going to run. That's kind of the that's kind of the the impact of that. And another another stat is that I found that I thought was really interesting is he's number one in the NBA in pick and roll passouts. So that just means he is consistently making the right read. And I, and you, he never ever looks, you know, he never looks challenged. Like he never looks stressed. That's the thing. But I, I think kind of the question going forward for Lamelo is I think you're right. I think once we start to see him like in a playoff scenario, how are teams going to defend him? I don't know that. I don't know that he's like leans heavily on anything enough where you could totally take him away. Like you can play a couple different ways and he can still provide uh, the things that he provides. But um, I think going forward for Charlotte, what do you think the missing piece for them is? That's always kind of the way we wrap this with these prospects. It seems like, I mean, defensively, they're they're pretty bad. They're 30th in the league in defensive rating. They play really fast. When you kind of go and look at the way they play, it's like they play pretty well offensively to play so fast, but they just get murdered and transition defensively. Um, and what do you think? I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about like Miles Turner. Do you think a Miles Turner trade could work for them? I would love that. I think you don't have to rush it. is only in year two. You don't need to go all in right now. There's no there's no need for that. I mean, you even compare him to Trey and Ja, like that's year three, year four, Luca. Like he's only year two. If he makes the playoffs this year, it's a huge win considering they were the 10 seed last year. They came off the bench a lot of last season. So it's fine. But I do think ultimately 
the five spot. You need some kind. Of, they have a thirtieth in defense. A Miles Turner would be great. I think a Christian Wood. They've got the right pieces. What I really love, I just think Lamelo. To me, what makes Lamelo so exciting is not just him; it's Bridges. I think that could be the chance to be a really great one-two combination. They complement each other so well. I think that's the foundation of a great team for a long time. Because like you compare Lamelo and Bridges to like Jalen and Jason, or Simmons and Embiid. Those two, those other two guys, they they don't make each other better, right? Like Jalen and Jason are doing their own things, and the best version of Jason Tatum. And the best version of Jalen Brown can't really coexist because they're both in the same spots on the floor. They both want the ball. But the best version of LaMelo and Bridges are actually perfect for each other. I think that's the big thing if I'm Charlotte. I've got this foundation for the next 10 years of this this like elite wing, elite point guard. We're going to play super fast. Bridges can score, doesn't need the ball. LaMelo can pass, doesn't need the ball. I think that... When you have your top two pieces, when they align like that, everything else falls into, falls into place. What do you think about this? Miles Turner and Karis LeVert for Gordon Hayward and PJ plus a 2022 first. What do you think about that? The um, cold bill, I, who's, who says no? <laughs> I don't know that I need LeVert on this team. I, like LeVert's a ball-dominant guy. I think Turner's the guy you want because she can spread the floor, defend... He can get out and run still too, but I, I don't think you need an extra ball dominant guy like Levert. I'd much rather see Book Knight. I think Book Knight's got a chance to be a really good player too. Obviously, my guy Kai Jones not playing much, and that might be too far down the road. But I think at the very least, you want to develop Book Knight into that sixth man scorer role. He's got good size to play off Lamelo, also. Kind of, I think, ultimately upgrade the Terry Rozier spot. Definitely, uh, Lamelo. He's he's just an unreal talent. It's been really it's been really surreal to kind of watch him blossom. Um, but like we said, like the the fa- he fails fast. He has a short memory, and sometimes I have a hard time knowing whether or not that's like he's just too reckless. You know, there's like an overlap there where it's like he is pretty wild with his decision making. Are they going to get into a play? And some of that might just be this is going to take time. Like you were saying, it's in terms of the roster building. Like, hey, let's not rush. Why we don't we're not in a hurry. This is year two, um, but. I think comparing like the him with the other guys that are like comparable sort of score playmaker types, it's interesting to think like what would a Lamelo look like if he had been on that Hawks team? Like his ability to go on and off ball, his ability to be super creative. What would that have meant for the Hawks? Because I feel like the Hawks kind of ran into trouble where Trey plays one way. You know, you know the door's wide open for Charlotte to. To uh, to put together a team because these pieces are really difficult to to get. Yeah, and I think like what you're saying with the Hawks, like if you read, oh, so Sirit Sohi went to the Hawks and training camp for us. They had a great feature on it. Go back and read that. And you could just feel all the young players talking about how they wanted more opportunities. Like you already just feel the discontent. And it's because, yeah, Trey monopolizes the ball. So a Cam Reddish, a DeAndre Hunter, a Kevin Herter, they're all kind of forcing things somewhat this year before they got hurt. Because they're all trying to do more. Because they have one guy with the ball in his hands a lot. Same thing in Dallas, right? Is when you have a guy who holds the ball, everyone else has to almost like fight harder to get the shots they get. They don't play as free. I guess also to go back, how'd you have Lamelo for the draft? Not even ask you. Where'd you have him? I thought I, mean, I had him one. I thought okay. he, I that understood. Was it was it was similar to to Aiton, where I understood the thinking. 
behind taking, you know, there, there's some of these guys that are like these archetypes where it's like this big seven footer, this super athletic wing. And it's like the, that we'll talk about in a minute. We're going to talk more about Anthony Edwards, but I, I understood why, but I, to, I personally thought that he was the most talented player in the draft. And um, the more I watched him, I mean, it was kind of eye opening. I did two videos of, on him over the course of like 10 months. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was super eye opening to really lean in and like watch him and be like, there's, there's definitely something here. Okay, this is going to seem silly, but hopefully this makes sense. So I've been like on a real Wild West kick lately, reading a lot of books about the Wild West. Larry I read this McMurtry. From, yeah, great, by the way. Lonesome Dove is awesome. So I read this book. It's called The Comanche Empire, which is awesome too. And it's like breaking down the whole Comanche civilization. And there was this really long segment about like Comanche war bands. And like what a Comanche war band is, is like they have their winter, they winter in village, then when the spring comes, it's like all the young guys, they get their horses. We're going to go ripping and running. We're going to go raid the West, raid Mexico, raid the East. Like we're going to have five or six guys on horses. We're going to move as a team. We have one leader and we just go. And I'm reading that. I'm like, this is what basketball ultimately is, right? Like basketball is I like scratching this civilizational urge, you know, because the Comanches were like robbing and killing. We don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> but the same basic idea is the same where... Football is much more of a like an industrialized mass communication, like mass movement, mobilized big groups of people, like an assembly line. Basketball is way more fundamental. It's way more primitive. Let's get three or four guys. Let's rip and run. Let's just go. And it's like LaMelo to me is the ultimate leader of a war band. Like he makes everybody else involved. He's a great leader. And who wouldn't want to be on his team? Like we're going to make things happen. It's going to be fun. Let's go. This is the Galaxy Brain Sharks is a, is a wonderful thing that I don't feel like I've gotten to see enough. You just like out meta <laughs> galaxy brain metaphor. I, you blew my mind with that one. You're always teasing me about my metaphors. That was a, uh, so did you, were you sitting here reading this and you just had this eureka moment? Like this is basketball. Wow. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Is LaMelo the leader of that team though? That's what I'm wondering. Or is he more of a lead by example type and like somebody else leads the team? Sort of the way, you know, Jokic, I don't know that he or Luca, you've always talked about Luca isn't necessarily the leader of that team. Is he? Is is from what you've observed, do you think LaMelo's a leader? He's the leader on the court. I don't know. He's so young. Off the court, maybe not, but definitely on the court. Like the thing goes through him. Before we go on to talk about Anthony Edwards, the Ant Man, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. 
Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So a player that's kind of on the other end of the developmental spectrum in terms of like how he came to the league, um, I feel like Anthony Edwards is kind of opposite of LaMelo in a way, in terms of like feel, like coming into the league, um, I feel like Anthony over time has these like immense physical tools and that's kind of what got him here, you know? Um, and not that LaMelo doesn't have those, but their challenges are kind of different. Do you see what I'm saying? Like where I'm going with that? Like where they came from to where they are and where they're going to be going. I feel like LaMelo is like really, really far ahead of Anthony in terms of feel how do you feel about that statement yeah i mean they're very different players and they're very different paths ahead of them for sure i think that's fair to say yeah i mean lamello is clearly the more in terms of basketball iq and feel for the game is anthony edwards is much more just getting buckets like i'm bigger and faster than you and i can also shoot and i can just score at will basically that's kind of how he plays right now yeah. So over the course of the year last year, it was it was kind of an odd year for Minnesota in terms of uh, they had a coaching change. Some of the numbers are a little weird if you go in there and you want to read into that. Um, and I know not everybody wants to do that, but I think that Ant's rookie year was good. He kind of picked up momentum as we went. I always have a hard time with like people really one one of the like cornerstone like well, actually responses to any kind of work is when people do the like after the all-star break. Do you ever get that from people? They're like, well, actually after the all-star break, I'm always like, yeah, but after the all-star break is also a time where teams like start resting. They start, it's kind of like what we're seeing right now in the, in the NBA in December, where it's like, there's a lot of guys coming up and getting chances. Uh, but Minnesota over the course of the year, kind of started to put some momentum together. Ant started to kind of figure it out. I know Chris Finch came in and, and started giving Carl a different role. Same kind of deal that we did with LaMelo here. What was what were your early impressions of Ant? Did he succeed? Did he surpass them? What were your, your impressions of his first year coming up to where we are now? Well, I think you hit on the main thing is when Finch came in. And if you look at the numbers, once Finch became the head coach, he really pushed Ant to a bigger role because right now, Ant needs the ball. And if he doesn't have it, he's just kind of out there sometimes. Like he needs to be engaged in the game. He needs to activate his scoring. He can't just be a spot-up guy. And I think Finch recognizes that, empowered him a bit. And his numbers started going up pretty fast once Finch took over. And I think that has carried over into this new season. I think the first question with Edwards, he's a weird player in a lot of ways. Because he's not a point guard. But he's not a traditional two-guard either. Because for me, when I think traditional two-guard, I think Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, a guy who can play on and off the ball, who runs around screens, catches and shoots. But that's not really Ant's game, right? He's a ball-dominant guard who's not a playmaker. So I think the first question for me is, what kind of player is Ant anyways? What kind of school does he fall under in terms of type of player? I think you're hitting on what the kind of developmental questions are going to be for him going forward. I, it, like who he is personally, I, 
the big challenges for me when I when I was like profiling him his rookie year and and income the problems for him have been kind of the same they've remained the same like and it hasn't been that long so these things haven't resolved themselves but he's a, a pretty insistent ball dominant player like you said but coming along with that is that that's okay if you want to be ball dominant if you're like and he's one of those like I'm a tough shot maker type players like he really that's his DNA as a player is like he really he really leans on tough shot making and his separation. Obviously, we've seen all this stuff about his athleticism. It's otherworldly. It's like off the charts, but he's not a super. This is something I brought up in my rookie report on him last year is that he was like a pretty historically bad dribble pull up shooter last year. Twenty seven point five six percent in twenty twenty one and and one of the higher volume players for his age. That was one of the lower numbers in quite some time. This year, it's up a little bit to 30 percent uh, on those shots. So you just you've got a guy who ideally would be like getting to the rim with this athleticism, drawing a lot of fouls. But he's on this this track of he probably should be like a primary initiator with like his skill set, but the the passing and the stuff isn't totally there. And we're kind of seeing those things come along uh, slowly. Uh, he's he's just very, very streaky. If you go and you look at, he'll have these eruptions. It's hard to argue with people about Anthony Edwards because he'll give you these insane performances where like he'll score 48 points and go seven for 13 from three because he's so streaky. But then you look at his box scores and it's like, there's a bunch of games where he goes like two for eight, two for seven. You know, that kind of is more consistently who he is. I, th- I think the question that you asked is just kind of hovering in the air. Like, I, I honestly don't know if, can he be this type of player and get to where he wants to go? Like, which is going to come first, the playmaking or the efficient scoring? Like, or does he need both? I think what you're getting at is kind of the same thing that Jalen Green has. When you're that athletic and you can shoot that well, you can always get a shot. It's just hard to train yourself to not take bad shots when you can make bad shots. But you don't want to make your living taking bad shots because eventually in the NBA, it'll catch up to you. And that's for a lot of the hyper-athletic scorers who come into the league. They kind of have to learn how to get the best shot because they can always get a shot. And right, the most important skill in the NBA is getting a shot, but you still have to know when to take it, when within the flow of the offense. And the number that jumped out to me when I'm looking at Ant so when he plays with D'Angelo Russell this year, they're plus 11. When he plays without D'Angelo Russell, they're minus eight. And there's a pretty clear connection because when D'Angelo Russell's not on the floor, the Timberwolves don't really have a backup point guard. What they usually do is they take D'Angelo out and then they'll play Cat and Ant together. And those two guys are kind of like de facto point guards with Malik Beasley in there. And there's not really a guy who's moving the ball and setting everybody else up. And so in those non-D'Angelo minutes, Ant has got a massive usage rating. His assist rate goes up a little bit, but so do his turnovers. Because it's just, he's not ready to run the offense himself. So my guess, my suspicion is, is the efficient scoring has to come first. He kind of has to figure out the scoring element. And then eventually, we're talking years He's only like 21, right? Like his prime is seven years away. I think the hope is when he's in his prime that he will be more of a playmaker. But I think if you're Minnesota, it's just let's get this guy scoring more efficiently because he's a scorer right now. So if you're going to take a lot of shots, take good ones and make them. When I'm thinking about Ant, I kind of put him in like the Donovan Mitchell, Victor Oladipo category. So these are guys who are super athletic, two guards. 
They came into the league not really as point guards. And there was a very, very slow build to move towards more of a point guard role over time. With I think Mitchell would be the goal. That, that to me is the guy, if I'm Minnesota, I want Ant to play more like Astonic Mitchell. I was researching this. A lot of people have kind of, I think you make really good points. It's funny that we were talking about Scoot is, is a similar guy on a similar kind of a track, uh, a really hyper athlete. And you're absolutely right that like that, that like line between making good decisions, because if you have the power, it's, it's so true. If you have the power to get your shot, and we've seen this so much over the years in different like hyper athletic wings, if you have the power to get your shot whenever you want, it's just so difficult. Like it's such a slow build. So like, so when I, when people hear me like knock his inefficiencies, know that I'm acknowledging that like this is a this cake is going to be in the oven for a long time. And like the because to grow those skill sets, when I said he's coming from an opposite spot as Lamelo, Lamelo just started from moment one doing these things. And Ant has been like a multi sport athlete, primarily football, which he 100 percent could be like an all pro NFL player. I'm sure the level of athlete he is. He's trying to build these things that are going to take reps. They're going to take exposure. It's going to t- it's going to be messy. The thing, the player that came up that I thought was interesting was a benchmark for him that I think could work is Demar Derozan. Is a player who came into the league, um, crazy athlete, um, but has slowly over time become like a a really balanced and efficient. Like he's a lethal ISO score as we know, but he's slowly kind of becoming efficient. I think it kind of crested in san antonio we really started to see you know him making sort of secondary reads and things like that like when you watch ant play it's just interesting to me that you can watch him attack he'll like attack 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 and then he'll be like ah nothing's there and he'll kick it it's like he'll throw it to somebody who is like not in rhythm and the difference between him and lamello is lamello will be like attack attack in rhythm pass but ants ants kind of like slowly kind of coming along uh in that sense like Score first player as opposed to pass first player, ultimately, right? That's what you're getting at. Sure. Yeah. And you just want to get closer to balance as you can. And it's like that kind of takes, that just takes a lot of time. The difference there, I think, is like DeMar showed shooting efficiency a little earlier than Ant has. Um, what do you think about this? Like the the point you made about like D'Lo, I think is a good one too. When I look at the dynamic, ultimately, this is about Cat and Ant. Like, do we have something here? Um, Rob Mahoney wrote a really good piece about Minnesota going forward. It's like they have a lineup out there that's really interesting of that's working of uh, D'Lo, Pat Beverly, Ant, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, and my main man, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, that, that is working. Nice. But it's like expanding beyond that because like the moment they sub, like they bring in Jade McDaniels, the defense is still good, but the offense falls out, uh, falls off. So... We're, we're trying to kind of build and go forward. The dynamic between Cat and Ant kind of reminds me of like a reverse version of like Aiton Booker. You know, you've got this guy that, that, and you need like a connective piece. Like ideally it's, it's Russell. Um, but over, over time, it's kind of like, I feel myself in like the pit of my stomach, just worrying about like, is the ceiling of this Minnesota thing really like, deep playoff run like do do you think that they are on a track with these two or is this ultimately going to have to break up at some point it's a fair question there's a lot that gets into it and i think a lot of that conversation is around cat more than ant right now this is cat's team i don't think we're quite seeing the best version of cat and that is like a super complicated thing that i think we can get into maybe as the year goes on so I got to give a shout out to my guy, Dane Moore, 
If you listen to this podcast, you probably know about his. He covers the Wolves, has his own daily pod. And he was sending me some numbers. And yeah, check out his pod. It's awesome. If you're a Wolves fan, check out his pod. It is fantastic. And I think for me, when I look at Minnesota and he sent me these numbers, it's like there are some simple fixes. So when D'Lo, Cat, and Edwards are in, they're dominant. And then when D'Lo's playing with the second unit, they're doing okay. What's killing them right now are these minutes where Ant and Cat are playing without D'Lo. And if you look at their numbers, there's one player in a very small sample size who those players play really well with. And here's it's a deep cut, but bear with me. It's Jordan McLaughlin, their back, their third string point guard. And it kind of makes perfect sense, right? Because Ant and Cat aren't point guards. They're great scorers. They need a point guard. To me, like for Minnesota, the obvious fix is to play a backup point guard when D'Angelo is not in the game. So the offense is always running. And it's like, yeah, with McLaughlin, you give up a lot on defense, but he's he's maximizing your two best scores. And then the hope is Ant and Cat can play better on defense. Their defense has been better this year. And I think that's for me, if I'm Minnesota, to go back to the Ant conversation, I'm playing him with a point guard. And then I'm telling him, I need you to be efficient. I need you to defend. You've got the physical tools. There's no question about that. Ant should be a three or four position defender. And a lot of it is just paying attention off the ball, locking in on defense. And I think that is the low-hanging fruit for Ant. Efficient scoring, play defense, play with the point guard. I think if those things happen, I think Minnesota takes a step forward. For sure. I think those lineup tweaks, I think what you were, the defensive thing is is another thing that I had written down here. Like Those are the three things, like the inefficient scoring, expanding his decision-making. I think these are the three big bullet points. And then his like attentiveness and effort defensively. I'm still seeing some things off ball where he'll just kind of fixate on the play that's happening in front of him. And then like, yeah, it's Russell Westbrook disease for sure. Ugh, don't, don't put that name in the air with it. the difference. I'll give him credit. The, the shift that kind of hurt Russ was when he changed his personality of like, he was like, okay, I am a high volume offensive guy. And we're, we're st- literally still seeing quotes from him showing that he is in that mindset. Even today, that that's like the only way he can provide value. And at this point is not killing you with like wastefulness. So I think you stay here, you don't expand and, and like pursue um, more of that, like just kind of bad shot offense. I'll give D'Lo credit. I was I was giving D'Lo a lot of crap for just kind of being in the way for them developmentally. I think you're 100 right. They need his sort of like point guard tendencies for their for their offense to stay fluid. I definitely like that. But um, yeah, and, and just like keep your head above water. Like he he has improved in his his efficiency across the board. Like he's not giving up more than he's taking. But it's just kind of like hold the line so that we can develop and continue, uh, continue to grow. When do you think? When do you think a realistic expectation for him? Do you see Ant being an All Star in the next three years? How soon do you think we could see him in the All Star game? That ultimately will come down to the Timberwolves. I think it's so easy to caught up in All Star discussion when, if you go really look at it, All Stars are given out based on team success, right? So Ant's going to be the second All Star because Cat is going to be your first All Star. He's your leading scorer. He's your best player. So for Ant to be an all-star in this setup, Minnesota's got to be a top four, top five team. And the West is down this year. I mean, it's not that far off. And I think for Minnesota, what the most encouraging part is, so they changed their defense up. They're using Cat more aggressively. He's not playing the drop as much. And at the very least now, they're defending, I think they're like 15th in the league with all the COVID stuff. They're defending at an average level 
which is always a big concern about their team. And then when you have in, I think for I'm most encouraged if I'm Minnesota is that when Ant, D'Lo, and Cat are playing, they're plus 13.6. So when your best players are winning when they're on the floor, that tells you this team isn't too far off. There's just tweaks from here, right? If your best three players fit together, you can figure out the rest of it. That shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, and and if you you're absolutely right about like the West being down right now, they're at the ninth spot, fifteen and seventeen. They could, I mean, it, the thing about them is like if they can just kind of keep it together, I could see them getting in because the teams that are below them, like the Spurs, the Blazers, the Kings, the Thunder, the Pelicans, Rockets, I don't really see those teams like turning it on and going on crazy runs. I mean, the Blazers maybe, but I don't really expect that. So they're in a they're in a position here to kind of get into like one of those scrappy kind of playoff series where they can like get ahead of schedule, you know, in our minds. Uh, I love some of the defensive lineups they put on the floor. I know this is kind of like take a drink because I'm getting ready to praise Vanderbilt again, but uh, he's just a monster out there. Like they, they've really done a good job. Like I do think that like the Pat Bev Vando combo, they take the primary assignments kind of at their position so that the other guys don't, don't have to like, they're creating more possessions for these guys who are like more offensively minded, um, it's a weird team from night to night. They can be really fun to watch. They can be a little like frustrating to watch, but, uh, it, the wolves are, are interesting going forward. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of piece, uh, they, they add, uh, sharks, uh, you, are you working on anything? You want to promote anything? What's on your, what's on your mind? NBA wise. Uh, I just did a big Chet Holmgren piece came out today. So I'm really excited about Chet. That'll be fun to get into him as the year goes on. Can you spoil for us? I mean, where is he on your board? Is he at the top? Have you have you watched anybody enough to make a decision there? I'll say this. Before I did a deep dive on Chet, I was unsure about him. Now I think I like him a ton, but I still got to do deep dives on Paolo and Jabari and these other guys before I really want to say anything. But I will say, I think Chet's a guy, the more you study him, the more you're impressed. And I think what I get into in the piece is he's not really getting to show what he can do at Gonzaga due to all kinds of situations based on their team. So he's really shining in a very small role. But the, what he's doing, and it's hard with Chet because it's a new thing. And out, whenever there's a new kind of player, your instant reaction is, well, I can't work because we've never seen it before. But to me, that's the most exciting kind of player, that it's new. So I think Chet's going to be very polarizing. It's going to be a super fun conversation this year. But I'm a believer. I'm definitely a Chet believer. Wow. All right. That's quite the endorsement because, you know, last year, I'm just saying, Sharks, Sharks was right about, the, about the, the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest big guy in the draft. Subscribe to this feed. You know, you know where to find Sharks' work on TheRinger.com. You know where to find my videos if you haven't seen them there on YouTube. I was going to say, what about you, Kyle? What are you working on? What are your, what are your videos? Tease us. Tease the audience. I have a few lines in the water here. I got a ball movement thing I've been working on for a little bit. I'm going to be start doing a rookie notebook, I'm pretty sure, here coming up. Uh, and and studying uh, Jamar, Jabari Smith right now too uh, the uh, the big the big forward from Auburn so a lot of lot of stuff coming um, yeah subscribe to our feed uh, on Spotify preferably check back in with us next week and we will uh, we'll see you next time.